Well, thank you, Larry and Tamara and all of our music folks, everyone making worship possible this morning. We continue our series, Dare to Be of Daniel, and this morning we're looking at the power of prayer. And we are in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a beat by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seventy years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled, and we have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name, to the kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. And Lord, bless his word to our hearts and minds this morning. Well, as we continue our series on Daniel, we are looking at the power of prayer this morning. Uh, love the story of this Catholic school and uh, elementary school, and there was a lunch line, and as the kids were going through the lunch line, uh, there was a tray of apples, and what the nuns had put on there, take only one, and then added, God is watching. <laughs> a little further down, the road, at the end of the lunch line, there was a whole tray of cookies, and some young student put on there, take as many as you want, God is watching the apples. <laughs> Well, God can do many things at once, and we look at the power of prayer this morning, and honestly, the entire book of Daniel is about the power of prayer, and is one of the most action-packed books in the Bible, and it has been amazing. So many people have said they've enjoyed this journey, and it's like a summer blockbuster movie, and we talked about how Nebuchadnezzar went around 600 BC, and he took control of the ancient uh, Near East, he uh, defeated the battle, the armies of Egypt and some decisive battle, then defeated the Assyrians. Uh, he laid siege to the Judean countryside and eventually devastated Jerusalem. Took at first 10,000 of the best and brightest went back and took more later on. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigo were carried away to Babylon, the capital of Babylon, which is an incredible, impressive city. It had the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world had these uh, huge walls that were immense and impressive. And uh, the idea of the king was to basically inculturate Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the best and brightest into the culture and values and identity of Babylon. And then have them go back into rule in the Judean countryside, and in doing so, basically change their entire faith, their life, everything about them. And their first reaction would be to revolt. But they received a letter from Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah said this from the letter back home. He said, listen, don't rebel. Instead, live and settle there. In other words, build relationships rather than serve rebellion, but keep strong values. Be salt and light in your world. And then he said to be a blessing, very radical, to the enemies of the to be a blessing to them, that God was going to do a work among them as well as the Judean countryside, and finally to trust God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. A promise to them and a promise to us. And throughout this book, these exciting chapters, we've looked at how Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have trusted in the power of prayer. And first it was in small things, it was in diet. They were supposed to have the king's diet, and of course the wine and meat would have been offered to idols, and Daniel says, we don't want that. 
He did it very respectfully. He said, uh, give us a chance to prove that if we have vegetables, and we have just this diet, and things that aren't offered to idols, that we're better and stronger and smarter than the people who have that diet. And so the steward for the king said, that's okay. And he gave him that trial period. And at the end of that period, uh, he said no one was as smart and wise and strong as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the others who took that diet. And so sometimes God wants us to be the tiny test to build towards the bigger battles in life. And of course, they prayed in that moment too. And then uh, there was the dreams. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and no one could interpret it. Daniel not only told him uh, the meaning of the dream, Daniel also told him the dream, which is a test. And, uh, and, and the king was impressed and touched. And then there was the fiery furnace, and the king built this huge statue and said that anyone who didn't bow down to that statue would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm. They were thrown into the fire, and then the king looked in and said, I see not only three, but a fourth. It's like the son of the gods. And he had to call them out of the fire, and their faith stood firm. They learned the power of prayer. And then there was another dream that the king had, and Daniel went before the king with tremendous courage, and he prayed for the meaning of the dream, and he told the king that the God that God was going to humble him, make him lose his mind, so it'd be like one of the cattle in the field uh, for seven seasons, <clears throat> and then after that seven seasons, he would find faith in God, and that took tremendous courage and prayer, and the king did lose his mind for seven seasons. We're told that that was a tremendous confession of faith. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar's sons and grandsons went through this chaotic period with a very short-term uh, sort of rules, and then they were partying instead of praying, and uh, something that's in our culture today. But uh, when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was having a party, and he had the vessels from the temple of Jerusalem brought out and used those to party, then all of a sudden there was a hand seen running on the wall. And, and so the, the king was understandably scared out of his mind, and he called Daniel. And Daniel interpreted that writing on the wall and said this, he said, this very night, your kingdom will be taken from you, and it happened. That Darius the Great, or Cyrus, also now, uh, saying that king came in, the people welcomed him as a deliverer, not as a conqueror, because of a level of corruption and justice in the kingdom. And, uh, and it wasn't long before uh, Darius the Great noticed that Daniel was one of the most astute people in the kingdom. He appointed uh, 120 satraps, sort of the junior rulers, and then three administrators over that. Daniel uh, was so great, so wise, and so honest in the way that he ruled that he decided to put Daniel over all the other rulers of the kingdom, and they became jealous. And they plotted in that moment as wicked blasphemy, and they decided to go before the king in this kind of moment that was sort of uh, buttering up the king and said, if anyone prays to anyone other than you, okay, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. And we have this law for 30 days. And of course, Daniel did what he always did. He went to his home, he went up to the second story, he opened the windows towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day. What a story of the power of prayer. Of course, he was caught, and uh, I wonder how many of us will be caught praying today in public, right? Would there be enough evidence to convict us of being people of faith? Well, Daniel was indeed thrown into the lion's den, even though the king didn't want to do that because he respected and admired Daniel. And the king went home, and maybe the king even prayed himself when he wanted Daniel to live. And Daniel maybe laid his head on a stone and was able to sleep. I can't think of anything more terrifying than being in a dark cave with a room full of lions. Man, 
When Daniel in the morning, as the king walked out, and said, O oh, Daniel, has your God been able to save you? And Daniel said, O oh, king, live forever. My God has spared me from the lions, for I was not guilty. Every chapter in the book of Daniel has been about prayer, and Daniel trusting in the power of prayer. And in this moment here, we see one of the prayers of Daniel, and it's one of the longest prayers in the entire Bible. It's most of chapter 9 there. And I want you to notice in this prayer from Daniel that Daniel does a number of things. And first of all, Daniel's one of the very few people in the entire scripture where nothing is recorded that Daniel did anything wrong. No sin whatsoever. I mean, it's very rare in scripture. Even people like Abraham and Sarah, there were faults and sins that they had. And of course, God forgave them. But Daniel, we see not one fault. But I want you to notice that throughout this prayer of Daniel, he always uses the term we when he goes to prayer. And isn't that amazing? And so he says, uh, as Daniel goes before the Lord, he says, according to the prophet Jeremiah, again, the influence of Jeremiah, that the desolation of Jerusalem will last 70 years. So then Daniel is going to intercede for the people of Israel that will go back to Israel. But as part of that, as part of it, he said, he pleaded before the Lord in prayer tradition, in fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Well, it's a waste before Lent. And you know you're allowed to fast other than Lent. But Daniel does this whole thing, and fasting, sackcloth, and ashes is a symbol of repentance, and a symbol of the priorities that we have before the Lord. And then he says this, he says, I pray to Lord my God and confess, Lord the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love and love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice the first thing he does is to give praise to God as we should in our prayers. And he goes on to say, and I want you to notice this, we have sinned and done wrong. Daniel, this great person of faith, said, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. We've not listened to your servants, your prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Well, if you look at that entire chapter, you're gonna see Daniel who intercedes for the people. Daniel, who's never done anything wrong, who has been a stellar example of faith, he's been a leader. Daniel goes before the Lord in this moment where Darius is the new king, and Daniel senses that the Lord is at work. But that 70 years, Daniel, by the way, is way up in years. He might be well into his 80s. That Daniel is praying and interceding that the people can go back to Jerusalem, that the temple can be rebuilt, but the first thing he does is, is to confess for all the people and to seek God's face, and what an incredible moment of prayer. And then if you look on in this chapter, the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel. <laughs> the head of all the angels, Gabriel appears to Daniel, gives him a vision. But not only the people going back, but the, a vision of the times and the seasons for all the entire world. And Daniel's had a previous vision, but again, uh, the term son of man is used. And where do we see son of man? Before Daniel, son of man just mean man being a, a person, right? A son of humanity, right? But in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7 and on, that term changes incredibly. Because Daniel sees as part of his vision one who will come with the keys to the kingdom. One like no other that is a son of man, but is also a son of God. And it changes the meaning, and what does Jesus call himself so many times at turning points in the gospel? The Son of Man. And people knew in that moment 
But Jesus was saying, God has sent him as the one that one in history would have the keys to the kingdom. Daniel, in prayer and supplication, had that vision not only of all the kings of the, that would come and go, including the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and those beyond that, but that God was at work in all humanity. And in this moment also, God was about to touch Darius with this moment where he would let the Israelites uh, go free. The, things were so great in Babylon for some of them, they didn't want to go back. Uh, but he sent them back to rebuild, and uh, you can read about Ezra and Nehemiah and how they rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the walls in that moment. But Daniel was interceding for all those people. In this great chapter 2 that Larry read from Timothy, Paul was writing from prison. In one of his last letters, 2 Timothy was his last, and as Paul was waiting to give his testimony, Paul too trusted in the power of prayer. And I want you to notice that Paul is praying not just for Paul, who's going to go before Caesar and give his testimony. Paul is not just praying even for Timothy and the church. Paul is praying for all the rulers, even for the people he's going to give his testimony before, just like Daniel. And it says this again, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, which is just asking what God would like, prayers, intercession there, again, you're pleading on the behalf of someone else, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And he includes, by the way, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Such a powerful prayer. And that's just the beginning of that prayer. Friends, as we look at Daniel, look at Paul in prison writing to Timothy and to all of us, you know, as I look around the world today, there's never been a time that I can think of that needed more prayer for all of us. And many times we pray and we think about ourselves, and that is important. God wants us to do that. And I know there's many chapters of history, but, you know, our world needs prayer. The Middle East needs prayer for peace and justice. Ukraine needs prayer. God wants to work a work in all people. Our own nation needs so much prayer today as we look at a very divisive society. And of course, you know that our community and of course our lives to our family has so many needs. As you as you know, as we every Sunday go before the Lord in prayer, and then I take moments throughout the week and pray, come into the sanctuary and pray for, for people and my list of prayer and people have given me. But you know, sometimes when you think about prayer and you look at it as a last resort, when in fact it should be a first priority. Not a last resort, but a first priority, because prayer enables us to live in faith, not in fear. Today, as we think about a season of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is part of prayer. But realize in our own hearts and lives that you and I, as people of faith, need to go before the Lord, not as an obligation, but as a privilege as we ask God to touch our lives in so many ways. And prayer can be a joy. There are times when prayer is work. Daniel was doing work when he's going before uh, God with the uh, intercessions of, of not only the people of Jerusalem, but uh, the people of, of Babylon and the entire kingdom and the entire world as God has revealed so many chapters to him. And you and I can go before the Lord and who knows, as we go before the Lord, what our prayers do, particularly when they're united with others. And I challenge us to be people of prayer. Daniel prayed and trusted God and God was faithful all the way from Tiny tests and diets to big battles when it came to the fiery furnace and the lion's den. God is still faithful today. 
And Daniel knew there was an obligation for all of us to pray and go before the Lord and to trust the Lord that God is doing incredible things in our lives. This is, uh, of course, his faith promise Sunday, and we want to pray over our gifts, but I also want you to realize that this uh, this idea of, uh, of prayer and thanksgiving is so important. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 10, 14, he said, the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down a stronghold. I, I like that, that it's a mighty weapon, not just sort of a last resort. James 5, 16 says, the effective prayer of a righteous person avails love. I don't know if you've seen the, the movie War Room, but it's, uh, it was out some time ago, but there's uh, a number of characters, Tony, Elizabeth, and, uh, and Jordan, and, uh, and, and in this family, the, the father is sort of uh, drifting away, his loyalty to his wife, becoming a workaholic, and uh, the daughter is, uh, Danielle, is uh, beginning to um, really have the wrong values as a, as a teenager, and this wife is frustrated, Elizabeth, and she doesn't know what to do. And uh, this uh, person that helps with that house by the name of Miss Clara comes, and uh, she begins to share with Miss Clara what's going on. And Miss Clara says, what you need is a war room. <laughs> and Elizabeth says, a war room, what's that? She said, it's a closet meant for prayer. And she says, you can't stand up and do battle unless you fall on your knees and pray. And she says, you need a closet before God, and we go there and begin to fall on your knees in prayer and trust God that that woman is going to make a difference. And she starts to do that. And at first, it looks like life is falling apart. Her, her husband actually loses his job. And, uh, and then the daughter has this crisis, relationships. But all of a sudden, she realizes that through all this, God is bringing the family back together. God is bringing the husband back to loyalty, bringing the family together, and they begin to realize that things are changing. And she realizes that the war room, the work that she's doing in prayer, is manifesting itself in all of her life, and it is a life change moment. I think for all of us, you know, we need to discover and really rediscover the power of prayer as a daily part of our lives, not just around the Thanksgiving dinner table, which is a important time to give thanks, but in all of our in all of our lives. Uh, Sven and I used to always do uh, like a prayer moment when she was young and do it less often. We should do it more often, but always when she was young. And uh, I'd go just before uh, bedtime, read a little something and sing a little something and say, let's say our prayers. I said, what, what do you want to pray for today? What do you want to pray for? And oftentimes she said, Dad, let's pray for God. <laughs> And I'd say, yeah, let's pray for God. God's got a lot going on, not just apples and cookies, right? And uh, so we pray for God. And I said, now, what do you want to give thanks for? She said, oh, Dad, let's, in the fall, she always said, oh, Dad, let's give God thanks for colors. <laughs> and I always think, man, you know, you're right. You've got thanks for colors. And then we sing a little song. It was her lullaby song that we'd sing. It was such a great joy to, to do that. And uh, it's a joy, too, when we gather around the table and say thanks in, in our lives. Many times for all of us, we discover that kind of prayer early in life, and it isn't until we're in the hospital room, or someone loses a job, or there's a relationship crisis that we go before the Lord in prayer, and many times God brings us back in that moment. But for all of us, you know, Daniel, it was part of the, the ebb and flow of life. Every moment that he faced, three times a day, Daniel would open the windows and pray. What about our eyes today? I challenge all of us to discover the power of prayer. I'm going to close with this from Abraham Lincoln. 
And Abraham Lincoln said this in the inaugural National Day of Prayer, but I want to read it again because I think it's so powerful. As the president, in 1863, in a proclamation of prayer and repentance, by the way, uh, he said this in 1863 and proclaimed it. We've forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied our risks and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by popular superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our natural sins and pray for clemency and forgiveness. He also wrote later on, he said, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. One stormy night I tossed in my bed, unable to sleep as I thought about the terrible suffering of our soldiers, and I had spent an entire hour in agonizing prayer. Well, it's not just for them, it's for us also. Jesus prayed as a regular habit, and he challenged us to pray, not just in the Lord's Prayer, but everything that we do and say. And I challenge us, like Daniel, to discover the power of prayer, not just in the big battles of life, but also the tiny test, because God is at work in all of us, and God is faithful if we go before the word in prayer. We join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is a way for life, and it is a lamp for our pathway. We pray, Lord, that we trust your word, and we would trust the promise and power of prayer in all that we do and say. We pray, like Daniel, that we learn to trust you, whether it's in the tiny test of the diet or the the bigger battles of the lion's den. And like Paul, we trust you in prayer as we face, whether it's in prison or a time of thanksgiving and joy. We pray that all the seasons that face us now and the days and weeks ahead, that we would trust in the power of prayer and that we would grow in faith and life through prayer. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all those people said, Amen. Amen.